Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Benny Trejo himself. It's Benny Horowitz. Right. What's up, dude? Give me six weeks, and I'll be walking around places again, and people will be speaking Spanish to me again. I love That's it. That's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> but, Benny, so yeah. for the past few weeks on this pod, we've been teasing folks. Well, we have? Yeah, a little bit, a tiny bit. I heard, I heard we took a little shit online we took- for, for drawing people in. See, this is you catfishing. This is why you take the biggest headline. <laughs> I mean, you're very smart. You got people into the program with a big, juicy headline. Yeah. This is this is why I have you, Denny. Well, the headline <laughs> is that the Gaslight Anthem is back. So, got to start here. Because I think for a lot of people, it came out of nowhere. You've been kind of hinting at it, jostling about it for a couple months now. How'd it happen? Well, I got to tell you, it did not come out of nowhere. And it was getting more and more painful by like the day and week starting to like keep this inside. But it was important. And I thought what happened, which was actual surprise from people, would not have happened if we didn't keep tight lipped about it. You know, um, I think when we started doing the tease or whatever, you know, listen. I'm a musician and I'm an artist and I have no interest in social media rollouts. You know what I mean? Like, it's not my thing. I don't like it. It would be better. Just like, Hey guys, this is what we're doing. But there's this whole other side to things these days. There's, there's data, there's numbers, there's all this stuff that people find vitally important. And there's whole teams of people that you pay to like kind of figure these things out and tell you what's best. So when it comes to these semi corny four or five day rollouts to things, yeah, I know it is too. Like, what are you going to do? You got to go along for the ride and, uh, and enjoy the thing. Um, but I have known for a long time how exactly it happened. I'm still going to be a little squirrely on because, uh, you know, the narrative is not like out there yet. Mm. And there is a story mm. and the story is cool. And the story is pretty interesting, but like me yammering on a podcast to tell that story is not the way that story should be told. <laughs> um, and it probably shouldn't be told by me. So that's one of the things people got to remember is I'm a drummer in the music industry. Remember that I'm the last one who's supposed to have loose lips, you know, <laughs> Like uh, ships sink over drummers who talk too much. So what exactly would you like to know that I can actually speak about? Let's see. Wow. Okay. So I think when most people think bands are getting back together, it's a couple of things. Money. No, it, it, it wasn't that. Or you've got a great idea for an album that hasn't marinated fully until now. Uh, it's neither of those things. Mm. You know, if there's anything I can say in a broad sense without getting into it, the reason Gaslight Anthem stopped and the reason we started was either the lack of ability to say something that you think is important and the ability to say something important. And we never broke up and we needed that time to figure out how to do something that felt vital again. And it was really the first window of opportunity where that felt uh, possible again, Mm. I could say that. So I really, but you know, in the truest sense, like I do think if you peel it back, 
without saying too much, you would not be seeing this band try to do something like this again if you didn't know that the people inside of it thought they had something very significant to offer again, you know? I knew it, it was me sending you that TikTok of somebody using 45 as a, my boyfriend gaslit me. I knew that that was going to get the band back together. <laughs> Got to get the New Jersey Devils cranking back up again. That's you know? right. Oh, it's so crazy. I apologize to anyone who who was teased or mad or anyone who's in like St. Louis or 170 other places in the world who are mad. We're not going there on the very first tour. Yeah. You know, just just relax. Like, <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah. You know, the thing is rolling up again. You know, you can't do every every city the first time. We'll try. You know, let's like keep it positive. Have some fun out here, you know? Now, I'm going to use this as, as my segue, but uh, the fact that gaslight means something completely different now. I know. <laughs> thoughts in, internally about that. No, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, here's one thing that is interesting about all this is like, everything is different kind of since the last time we really tried to do this and like uh the way you know messaging is going across to people the platforms in which it goes across like you said even something like a terminology that comes into play like while you're i'm sure there's gonna be jokes about it like there's gotta be it became like a new American phrase like most people didn't know what it meant until a few years ago and now it's here so uh we didn't have any internal discussion on how to how to play that but I gotta say there is uh for me at least an internal dialogue of like I can control what I can control when these things start you know I can really invest everything into music I can invest it into writing the playing of the music, the focusing of efforts on the community of people that I'm involving myself with and making sure that's good, aesthetically making sure things things look cool and feel right, you know. And then after that, especially for someone like my age and a little untied to the music industry more than I have been, I got to like put my hands in the air to a certain point. And you have these groups of people who say they know how to do certain things. I don't know how big Gaslight is right now. I don't know which kind of venues we're supposed to be playing. I don't know like how a band is supposed to roll themselves out on the internet to <laughs> maximize shmamamamamat. Like, I just don't know this stuff. And it's like I've gotten to that point of my career where I've learned to seize control of the things I cannot control. And uh, I'm going to focus on all the things I can do and give it like my full heart and effort like I always do and try really, really hard to kind of keep that other stuff off to the side unless it's super problematic. Well, you know what segment is always problematic? Yeah, often problematic. Very, especially today. It's this day <laughs> music history. Do, 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 do. This is a fun one. Since yeah. this is our April Fool's episode. That's right. On April Fool's in 2008, YouTube tricksters started the popular bait and switch prank called Rick Rolling, <laughs> where they would feature a video link that leads to Rick Astley's never going to give you up uh, via trying to lead you to very important things. So 
this kind of rebroke the song by Rick Astley, which was a number one hit. And for someone my age, not some kind of deep cut. Uh, I think it was also repopularized by Ted Lasso recently. Yeah. But um, it kind of like brought Astley back to the mainstream. It started on 4chan <laughs> because someone posted a link claiming to be the highly anticipated Grand Theft Auto 4 game trailer. <laughs> and it actually led to never going to give you up. And that's what started the Rick Rolling phenomenon and led like 25 million new clicks and listens to that song over that year. So this is what we were just talking about, right? The power of bullshit social media and the kind of stuff you can do these days. And it uh, it brought back Rick Astley to a new generation, which, you know, worse things to bring back. I'm so excited to like be to be like, oh, I'm going to tease the trailer for Avengers Endgame 2. This time it's personal. And then just at the end, it's like a, a gaslight song. Gaslighting. Rick rolling, gaslighting. No, this is what you do. <laughs> Since people were mad last week, you definitely make the link like Benny Horowitz spills the beans on gaslight getting back. And and then it's just Rick Astley. I love I it. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. On this day in 1970, as an April Fool's d- joke, John Lennon and Yoko Ono issued a statement to the press that they were having a dual sex change operation with a, a picture of uh, Yoko's head on John's body and vice versa, um, <laughs> which is, it's funny, but honestly, in, in hindsight, you know, given like uh, the rise of the LGBTQ movement, probably the few social misses by John Lennon, but an important day in history and a moment nonetheless. I mean, it, it, for the era, like it's so before anyone was discussing a topic like that, like, yeah. Like, he couldn't discuss that in a real way at that time. I think you had to begin to, you know, poke fun at it and make, basically poke fun at the 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 user. And I'm sure it sparked, like, some sort of weird vitriol. I bet there was someone somewhere who, like, smashed Beatles record <laughs> after they saw it, like yeah. anything else. So, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like a miss now. might have been a hit for the time. I'm not mm. sure. Just like uh, Rick Rowland. Um, all right. <laughs> First headline today, Benny, by now, you know, it's been talked about to death, but you've uh, all heard about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, a moment mm. that was shocking. And a, uh, we've been so desensitized to, like, fake stuff that we were like, is this real? Um, well, Wednesday evening, Chris Rock broke his silence ahead of his uh, a stand-up show up in Boston. Um, wasn't part of his act. He doesn't have the jokes yet because, you know, you really want to workshop those down where no one's going to see you. And he said, I don't have a bunch of uh, shit about what happened this weekend. So if you came to hear that, I have a whole show that I wrote before this weekend. I'm still kind of processing what happened. So at some point, I'll talk about the shit and it will be serious and it will be funny. So, so many elements to this, but let's go back to the whole thing. I got a, a text from Benny that was just like WTF after the whole thing happened. So uh, your initial thoughts and how have your thoughts kind of changed as we've moved on through the days here? Uh, my thoughts changed pretty quickly. Like, like I texted you when I was in that moment, I think most people had, which was like, wait, that just actually that actually just fucking happened because it was so bizarre in the context of what we're used to. You know what I mean? Like. Like, I'm used to watching this, like, bizarre celebrity event with, like, the most plastic shit ever. And, like, 
to see some like real shocking uh, impromptu moment in the middle of that stuff was like really jarring at first. And I think it took everyone a little time, even everybody there to kind of understand like, wait, what just happened? And like, what's going on? And this is very confusing. And that's why like to all the people in the room, at least like, I don't want to get into that. I kind of give everyone a pass just because it was so like, why, what the fuck? Like people needed to process. And I think if you gave people a little time to really know what was going on, a lot of people would have been much more negative later in the evening with the reception. Um, but the thing that like, like there was, you know, a part of me, a small part of me with that instant thing where I'm like, Oh shit, good slap. Like, damn, you got him. Like, you know, and there's this like weird part of me that like gets excited. Like I'm watching like a Jerry Springer episode, I guess I'm, <laughs> you know, 10% shithead like everybody else. <laughs> but then quickly, like, the thing that really stood out to me is, like, Chris Rock's reaction to it, which was, like, authentic. And it was, like, a person who was, like, shocked and kind of scared and freaked out and didn't know what to do in the moment and, in hindsight, probably didn't deserve what he got. And, you know, as it ages, I'm giving Chris Rock a lot more credit than I did at the time. Like, um, what if what if Chris Rock went after him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what if that, you know, reaction led to like instant rage? And then you have these two old fucks like wrestling on stage, <laughs> like looking even worse. So, you know, in hindsight, I think he forever made himself look better by abstaining and taking it and even making as you let off with like a statement like he did where he's not even willing to address it yet like he's gonna age better and better in this situation uh as we go because of the way he played it and i give him a lot of credit for that like sometimes being the adult in the room you know it looks like you're 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 scared or inactive or not manly or something in the moment and really, it was the absolute right move. And I think he, he's going to age better and better. Another thing I was wondering about, what if, what if that was Jimmy Kimmel? Mm. What if Will Smith went up there and slapped a white guy? Are we, like, taking it as passively? Like, I wonder in a weird way, since we saw, like, a black man attack a black man do we have this inherent like black on black crime thing and we don't really care that much i have a weird feeling that if that was a white host who made that joke and got slapped the shit out of on stage the vitriol would have been a lot different it would have felt different and seemed different and i think that is an element that's also in play that confuses me a little of course it's conjecture because i don't know but it's my assumption that it would have been different. And then I didn't even think of it at the time, but some of the commentary afterwards has been about the fact that this is uh, disrespectful to Jada and, and the idea that a woman can't speak for herself in her own capacity and doesn't have the agency to, to handle her own situation and needs the man to step up in the middle of the Oscars and slap someone for you. Like, that's also like uh, a, a, an element of this that takes us back in a weird way. And, and when you're, I guess the most disappointing thing is like 
you follow a guy like Will Smith through his career and you think he's like different, you know, you think people are different and then you strip back all these layers and you see people on the surface and, you know, that looked like weakness to me. That looked like emotion. That looked like a semi broken man in a bad spot for some reason. And like, you know, just because somebody's on there, you know, I can say from personal experience, like if you, uh, uh, like post something new and go and read comments, it could be a hundred positive comments and then one bad one, which one are you going to remember? You only remember the bad one. It's weird. It's like a weird mental thing that happens. And like, so I think people imagine like, yo, this is like your night, like the biggest night of your life. And like, you know, you, you just, you were fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now you're going to win a best actor at the Oscars. This is like some crazy shit. And like this small human shitty part of this person didn't think, couldn't think about any of that just was like 12 years old again with someone like kicking sand on him and this emotional response. So I think what Will Smith does in the next like couple weeks or month is really important. Like I would love to see some like real attrition from this, you know, like actual attrition and not, you know, the kind of BS statements I've been seeing so far. But um, I guess there's a fundamental question to all of this too is like, there's like 4 million refugees in Europe and you know, like we decide to like talk about this for a day where we just see two millionaires slap each other and it actually doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially with everything. I guess we wouldn't have a program. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause then we're going to be like <laughs> the political tune up, the world news tune up, but that's a, a entirely different show. So I know it has a lot of points, a lot of points, but this has been stirring around in me. No, it, it's been stirring around in me as as well, and I think that there's a couple interesting things. Um, you get the Academy trying to save their ass. There's been reports that they asked him to leave, and he wouldn't, um, and mm-hmm. then he later went out and... Uh, was partying with his his like family, holding his like Oscars, almost like so. What this happened? And you know what it kind of reminded me of seeing all of the images of like him not leaving them, him him partying and and celebrating it. Did you watch the People versus O.J. Simpson? I didn't know. Okay, so it was a great miniseries they did yeah, about the I know whole of thing. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last scene they have uh, Cuba as 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 OJ and he's at a party and there's a flashing lights. It's quote unquote the same as it was before, right? But like everyone's looking at you a little bit differently now. Like you're no longer the juice. Now you're like OJ, and it's mm. it's like this whole thing where. Uh, people look at you differently, especially in Hollywood, which is maybe one of the most like elitist places where uh, your your mood or your temperature or, or your state in the industry can change on a dime. You gotta wonder what's next for Will Smith here. Now, um, does he have the fortune that places like Netflix uh, made a like I think it's something like a six hundred million dollar investment in his uh, Westbrook production company, which we can talk about the tie between Russ and Westbrook going way down to <laughs> couple, m- couple misses that week, <laughs> Co- couple misses, couple misses. <laughs> but uh, 
No, it's uh, that that's the one thing that I've been thinking about all week is like what's next for Will because he had kind of built himself up into a power broker in Hollywood, not just a actor. He took the drought of the last 10 years for him and and parlayed it into a content creator um that also had his feet firmly in Hollywood. I mean, he he produced the uh, uh, Cobra Kai for Netflix. He produced like uh Bel Air also, uh, shows that have received a bunch of acclaim. So, um and then the other part of me wonders if for Will, uh, when you work so hard to get somewhere, I think there's something about being a self-sabotager that is constant in the entertainment business where you get mm. all the way to the height and then you personally inside don't feel like you're good enough. So one small thing uh, that's buried way deep down can come up at a moment when you're supposed to get all of this shine and yeah. it kind of takes all of that away from you. So I don't know. It's super interesting to me. Is it? I mean, like from the, you know, I'm not much of a celebrity news guy, but his his ex-wife wife slept with one of his son's friends, right? Like really publicly. I believe. And everybody yeah. knew about it. And like, you know, and that's where I see this image, like, like Will Smith doing the slap. And then he's got this like, bizarre kind of like self-effacing grin as he walked away and i'm like this is like an emasculated dude you know yeah. what i mean like he shouldn't be you know he beat up a fucking alien in the desert like he's like played muhammad ali like literally you know he should feel good about himself in that way but i think he like publicly got flogged as like less of a man or something and maybe it was like this bizarre you know machismo effort to like sort of reclaim some of that publicly i don't know it's interesting because it almost felt like kind of looking back at it like the whole thing was like so well done from his perspective that it looks like acting i mean the slap was like a like like a spider-man or like batman slap that slap was definitely like someone who's never been in a street fight (laughs) but been trained for like 50 different movies on like how to fight you know what i mean and then he's never actually punched a person in like real life but but that's like exactly the way like he like knocked the shit out of something and like i robot (laughs) (laughs) and then he walks back to the seat and with the camera perfectly positioned to get the shot from below to kind of you know how movies capture like people in like power or trying to be in power in a situation he's like keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth the whole of it was a production that i don't think even he could have scripted and that part of it was the one where like even me like I went from shock to like rolling my eyes a little at that part because that's when I'm like, hey, like you can't play that card anymore. Like maybe you grew up somewhere like I don't know Will Smith's history, but fuck, you have been a multi multi millionaire, (laughs) rich, famous motherfucker since I was like nine years old watching you on TV. Like you can't sit there at the Oscars wearing <laughs> that fucking suit yeah. and all of a sudden get like and all of a sudden you're back from Philly. That kind of gusto <laughs> keep my wife's name yeah. out your fucking get the fuck yeah. out of here, dude. Like, come on. Like that ain't it's like that ain't you. That ain't you anymore. Like, come on, give it up. It was really the perfect moment that encaptures what entertainment and media is in twenty twenty two. I mean you have yeah. One of the and biggest the reaction to it, yeah. yeah. One of the biggest stars doing something unthinkable 
it's just a, a, a complete storm where I, I wonder where we all go from here. I hope, and I don't think it will because I think Hollywood's kind of evolved past it, but uh, you hate to wonder what this means for uh, black-centered projects uh, going forward in Hollywood because, you know, the common thing, and you even heard someone like St- St- Stephen A. Smith say this, be like, uh, oh, when, when black people get to the mountaintop, this is why we can't have nice things or something like that. So you kind of hate to, like, uh, an isolated incident be a reflection on a community, but that's what people that aren't white deal with all the time. Yeah, that's true. All right, the heavy show continues here today. Oh boy, this was this was a thing. I saw this on Saturday night, and I couldn't believe that it was true. Uh, Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins pa- uh, shockingly passes away um, in Columbia. Uh, this happened over the weekend uh, with fans and musicians everywhere just reeling from the news. He was 50, 50. Uh, let's, let's focus this on Taylor and, and his legacy right now. Uh, it's hard to quantify what he's, he's meant to rock music, but over the past couple of years, you know, we've lost guys like Charlie Watts, Neil Peart, uh, and this guy was kind of like handed the torch to be like, hey, you're going to be like a, a, a flag bearer for rock music going forward. So, uh, Ben, just a really sad situation, but what, what was your initial thought when you first heard the news? Um, well, this is kind of difficult to talk about, like on, on a bunch of levels. Mm. Um, you know, it's sort of like a, it's like a small fraternity. You know what I mean? It's there's there's a certain amount of people who know what like the life of like a hard rock drummer is and what it takes. And and he was uh, a shining example for so many of them of like what to be, how to do it. Uh, you know, not only in his playing but his vibe. And he. He sort of, you know, carried the torch of the greats prior, you know, like like there's the the people who come from the John Bonham, you know, uh, Keith Moon school of drumming who who have lived on and Taylor is one of them. And, you know, when you think about it on that scale, he is pretty much the only person in the world who could have been Dave Grohl's drummer um, and you know, it's always been this amazing thing about the Foo Fighters that literally two of the five best rock drummers in the world are in the same band. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, they're not doing the shows and I, I have no idea what's up for the future. Uh, on a personal level, it's it's certainly extra disappointing in a way because the first time Gaslight Anthem had uh, interaction with Foo Fighters was opening for a festival with them. And my grandmother had died a couple days before, and I went back to the States to go to the funeral. We, since Foo Fighters were on the same festival, we had asked Dave Grohl, do you want to fill in for drums <laughs> for Gaslight? Um <laughs> So that was what put like us on their radar was us requesting Dave Grohl to see if he could play drums for his show. He said no. Um, and they got like our monitor guy and the drum tech from Silverstein filled in and fudged their way through like six Gaslight songs just to play the show. And Taylor and Dave watched that set. And it's always killed me, like, the one time my two, two of my legends, like, I've always, you know, like, I had a chance for them to see me play drums, and I was, wasn't there, and then, and they didn't get to see it. Um, and then, you know, we opened, 
for them a couple times and I didn't really get to, to hang with Taylor. I like shook his hand and, you know, met him and his vibe was great, but I didn't get a chance to really connect with him. And I was hoping, you know, with, with Gaslight kicking back up that I've had, I'd finally have a chance to like, you know, have this guy see me play drums and, and interact with him and try to, you know, you, you know, put myself into that, that fraternity that he's a part of that I want to be a part of and stuff. So it's like a really great personal disappointment. There's a musical loss. Um, you know, there's, uh, the thing about it is like, it, it, you know, there's a special type of person that can do what he did. And there's so few people like that. Like, you know, you ever watch an athlete, you know, you watch LeBron James in the fourth quarter of a game and you're just like, how the fuck is this guy still doing this? How are you not destroyed? How are you, you know, and Taylor is the same way, man. You'd be like 90 minutes into a Foo Fighters set with this guy just fucking slamming away, precision slamming. You know what I mean? Not like messy slamming. Like I'm playing loud as fuck and everything is perfect. And you're like 90 minutes into the set and you would look and you're like, the fuck is he still going? Like, how is he still going so well, so deep into this set? And it was truly like this unique talent. And I think another thing that comes out of it, you know, from my personal experience and anecdotal stuff and even everything you see from the outside, this is a totally universally beloved person. You know, like you didn't see one person have anything but but say every time I was around this guy, it was smiles, vibes, good energy, like he just made people feel good around him and then had that kind of alluring energy. And, you know, if there's a person to look up to as you're moving forward, someone who can play the drums like that and make people feel the way they did, like it's Taylor Hawkins. And it's uh, it's an absolutely huge lost to like rock and roll and the drum community he's on like the very small mount rushmore of people that you would just you know completely revere uh in this in this category so that's the first time i really talked about it but it's been really upsetting for me i've been playing a lot of foo fighter songs all week and you know i feel like uh in a way i feel like i have like a responsibility to him you know what i mean to like I think we believed and loved like the same things. And now I got to kind of like, like in a way I'm like, I got it, man. Like I'll, I'll keep it going for us. <laughs> uh, boy, like we said, heavy show today. Bruce Willis has announced the tune down, the tune down. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> man, we spent so long trying to do the optimistic episode, but, but know, we're trying to I keep know. this downer of an episode optimistic, but Listen, I wear a lot of black. This is probably closer <laughs> to my wheelhouse. Oh, <laughs> All right, so Bruce Willis has announced that the actor is retiring from the profession after being diagnosed with aphasia, a language disorder caused by brain damage that affects a person's ability to communicate. Uh, Willis's family members posted in a joint statement to social media announcing the actor's retirement, um, joining a, a, a list of uh, New Jersey actors that have been stepping away from the craft. Obviously, like Jack hasn't been in anything in almost a decade at this point. But uh, let's keep it happy here, shall we? Bruce Willis, one, probably one of the most beloved actors of, of our time. So let's keep it happy here. What are your Mount Rushmore Bruce Willis roles? Well, first off, we'd be remiss 
to not talk about Montclair State University alum. That's right. Yeah. It better be a statue in Montclair soon enough. I'd like him to see it be- before Bruce is gone. A big one, yeah. too. Uh, and something funny, like one of his funny roles, not a, not like a John McClane statue. Mm. Let's go like a look who's talking statue. <laughs> but anyway, I think the one thing people forget about Bruce Willis is like, you know, obviously he was pegged as the action guy. Yeah. He's the dude from the Die Hard series and Die Hard one. And I think Die Hard with a vengeance <laughs> are two of the best action movies ever made. I yeah. mean, they're great. He's so funny. They got everything you need. Like, like they set the benchmark for those films. But I think it's under talked about. I mean, he's funny. Yeah, he was always funny. He was, uh, you know, uh, moonlighting. Yeah, he's on TV. He was great. The Look Who's Talking series, hilarious. Bonfire of the Vanities, Death Becomes Her, super weird movie. Pulp Fiction, Sixth Sense was out of his pocket. Yeah. And then he gets into Wes Anderson movies eventually, like Moonrise Kingdom. I think he doesn't get enough credit for like the diversity of like the kinds of roles he took and and really was just pegged as a, an action star. And then, you know, you add the Die Hard, Sin City's Fifth Element. It was, a, it was a truly, truly storied career that, you know, as someone my age, like I followed it super, super closely. I got to say, for me, my Mount Rushmore, like, dude, I love Look Who's Talking. <laughs> I love those movies. My mom loved those movies. They're so much fun and <laughs> they're really hilarious. I mean, are we not going to talk about Armageddon? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, that's a classic. 12 Monkeys, you know, um, it's just, it just goes on and on. I, but I guess, you know, for the Mount Rushmore, his quintessential character has got to be John McClane, you know, mm. like, like that, that, uh, wise talking, funny, um, you know, New York cop stuck in these insane situations. Like, like, let's not even get into the reason why, like by, you know, movie number two, this guy's like flying planes, like New York cops aren't supposed to be doing stuff like that. But he literally like, there's no that whole model of action character is like based on him. Yeah. So I gotta say that I mean it'd be remiss to say anything but John McClane is not the Mount Rushmore character, I think. What about you? Oh man. You know what one of my favorite ones of his and this this is not a popular opinion, but I fucking dude, him, Tracy Morgan, cop out, come on. Oh, super funny. <laughs> I love that super movie. Super funny. You know who's underrated in that movie is Sean William Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's really good. Because it, it's very much like the guy he's all uh, it's always played, but just like the hyper up version of it. Oh, I fucking love well, that. I like I like that because because that movie was like like John McClane if he was doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like John McClane if he wasn't fighting like an international terrorist organization yeah. and kind of staying local. Yeah. Like that's what John McClane would have been like. The one thing that's really strange about this that I just feel like I got to talk about yeah. is like what who has been kind of taking care of him the last few years mm, yeah, yeah, and that- like and like who put him into so dude since 2019 i mean i'll just go through some survive the night hard kill breach 
out of death, deadlock, fortress, a day to die, vendetta, die like lovers, white elephant, American siege, deadlock, apex. Dude, he has done like three dozen awful, like low budget action movies in the last like three or four years. And from the articles I'm reading, it sounds like he was coming to the sets of these things. He would only work for two days at a time. He was wearing an earpiece, getting fed lines. Uh, people on the sets were like concerned about him and confused. So I really wonder that like who was pushing him kind of into these like weird roles the last few years. That's the one element of this that feels just like creepy. And I'm like, what what was happening? You know? Like, I feel like this is not the first time we've had this kind of situation where you have a, like, star who may be losing his, like, faculties and people are like, all right, let's just, like, try to cash in as much as possible yeah. at the end. And that's that's terrifying for anybody. It's scary. And I know from this business that, like, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if there's some shitty agent out there or, like, like, there are people every time he books one of these movies and gets a check, Right. There's a manager who's getting a percentage, like some booking agent, a day to day handler, a financial manager, like all these different peoples are taking their one to five to 10 percent of every single cut that comes in. So it's pretty obvious what happens in these scenarios. You know, these teams of people gain so much power around someone. They kind of get the influence and and they use it like that and they want to keep. They're like, oh, this guy is a depreciating asset. I want to get as much fucking money out of him as I can at the end. It's it's dirty, and, and it's really what's actually happening. Not to mention, I believe during lockdown, he was forced to live with his ex-wife, his kids, and her like new man in like the house. So it's just been like a hell of a situation for him the past couple of years, especially when he's been battling this. It's like, come on. He deserves better than this. And what about the, la- the last Boy Scout? Is that a football movie? Do we can can we consider that a football movie <laughs> or is it just action? It's probably just action. I don't know what it's it that's you know everyone can test is Die Hard a Christmas movie. I want to <laughs> I want to know is the last boy scout a sports movie? movie. Cuz that that would that would mess up the top 10s and stuff like a lot if you <laughs> if you considered that way. You know what was on, on mine that I feel like most people probably wouldn't have uh, the work that he does in like two scenes of Ocean's Thirteen, where he like pretends yeah. to be like uh, where like yeah, he's playing himself, that. love that. Yeah, that is funny. All right, Benny, we're in the last couple games here of the NBA regular season, and the MVP race is tight as can be. It was a little wider and a little more established prior to a, a certain Bucks Sixers game. Um, <laughs> prior to that game, Jokic uh, won an ESPN straw poll. He got 62 of the 100 first place votes. Embiid got 29, and Giannis got 9. I imagine that that shifted after that game where Giannis uh, outperformed Embiid and blocked him at, at, at the buzzer. So uh, the Bucks have a decent run down the stretch here, playing some against the top teams. Do you think Giannis can close the gap nay even surpass Jokic or does Jokic have this MVP in the bag Uh, it's gonna take a pretty epic run it's gonna take I think him you know going up a couple percentage points and maybe taking the scoring title yeah maybe that would help uh maybe Milwaukee cementing the number one seed like like if Giannis walks away at the end of this Milwaukee's the number one seed 
he has the scoring title, then sure, he might give Jokic a run for his money. Like, it, it's not too far off numbers-wise. And if he walks away from the season with those things, then I'll give him a chance. If he does not walk away from the season with those things, I do not give him a chance. I think the main thing here, too, you know, when you have the deciding factors is like, uh, you know, when you really strip back the award, right? Um, it's supposed to determine who is the most valuable for their team. Mm-hmm. And Milwaukee and Philadelphia, just their teams are so much better than the Denver team. Like, like if Milwaukee didn't have Giannis, with the roster they have, maybe they're still competing for a playoff seed. Mm-hmm. They're not a championship right. team, but they're competing for a playoff seed. Philly without Embiid, you know, <laughs> without Ben Simmons or, you know, of course, like they would have done nothing at the beginning of the year. But if it was James Harden and Maxie and Harris and all these guys, like, sure, low-level playoff team, not a championship team. Denver without Jokic? You know what I mean? When you're all of a sudden starting, like, the Marcus Cousins, Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Monty Morris, like, this is literally the team you're fielding out in the West. Not a playoff team. I'm sorry. They're they're playing for the lottery this year. So that is one of the big deciding factors. And also the fact that uh, Embiid and Giannis have both played 62 games. Jokic has played 70. So he's had a larger career, um, excuse me, a larger sample size and stayed healthier this season. And then, you know, Jokic is leading in some things you wouldn't think about. Like Jokic has 62 double-doubles this season in 70 possible games. Who do you think is number two this season? 70 possible games. Embiid? I'm not sure. It's Jonas Valanciunas with 49 and Gobert with 47 Mm, next. Triple doubles. He has 19. Who do you think is the second in the league? I don't know. Giannis, maybe? DeJounte Murray with 13. So, I mean, dude, this is a seven-footer. Yeah. A center playing point guard for this team, playing more games than everyone, has the highest PER in the league. It's just like, at this point, I mean, I, I like the Giannis argument for what I just said, but, I mean, it's pretty much Jokic's to lose at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's got to because, simply put, like, it makes, like, Giannis, you watch him and you're like, of course he's gonna do that. He's he's built for that. But you keep watching Jokic. He really? like yeah. I've watched so many Nuggets games, right? And you're always surprised that he's doing what he's yeah. doing. And he, you're exactly right. Uh, given the team around him, um, given like the injury losses that they're still recovering from, the fact that they're like middle of the pack Western Conference, it's all because he's just balling out of his mind. That and I think the NBA media is too afraid to confront his brother. If they don't yeah. go for him. <laughs> I mean, and listen, those arms, the fact that those arms are going to be MVP two years in a row is one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen in the NBA. Yeah. It's giving Drew Timmy a chance to even make it <laughs> in the league. The fact that those f- sort of flimsy white arms that are always just red and cut up at the end of games <laughs> are the MVP arms. They just don't look like MVP arms, you know? Now, here's the interesting conversation to be had, right? And we kind of talked about this over text about the Jazz. How long until this Jokic thing in Denver stops being a nice story and it becomes more like we got to blow this up? One, two years? Wait, for Utah or for Denver? No, no, 
for Denver. How how long before Jokic is like, you know what? I'm throwing out like all time performances, and we're still not getting it done here in Denver. So, would you say a clock could potentially be ticking in Denver? I mean, you know, it's one of those as always like. So much of these questions have to do with the person we're talking about, and yeah. I don't know the person. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can't make any commentary on how Jokic loves the city, if he likes being there, if he plans to stay. Um, I do think you got to give Denver some credit for drafting really well. Yeah. Um, you know, even even now, like, like, did we know Bones Highland was going to be hmm. a real contributor? Like, they keep bringing in people who are helpful to the team. And they keep making investments. It's not as if they let Michael Porter walk or they let Jamal Murray walk. Um, you know, maybe they're not doing enough uh, to understand the health of certain players, Porter in particular. Uh, Murray's a little more random. But I think you could, you know, tip your cap to Denver for the fact that they've put together this through the draft. Uh, you know, um, uh, signed people well, brought in good free agents to surround with Jokic. They've tried. So, you know, of course, he's in a small market and, you know, the opportunities for him in other places are bigger. But I got to give Denver some credit for for actually making a good go with when you have a superstar. Yeah, I think that they give this a few years because of like first before Jokic goes like they get rid of Mike Malone, and I don't think they're going to do that. He's done a great job. He's been a great yeah. coach. It's, like, so interesting how they do that, right? Because we're hearing all, all, like, the talk about, like, oh, like, Quinn Snyder, like, like they're going to blow, it like, up there. And it, it's interesting how if something doesn't work for, like, five or, or six years, it's like we immediately go into, well, I just throw my hands up and, and give up, which uh, – I, I feel like that happens more in the Western Conference than the East in history because the West has been so much stronger. But I, I honestly think the Toronto championship mixed with the reforming of the draft lottery has made teams rethink that a little. Mm. And I think that the idea of being good, middle of the pack, taking care of the players you have for a long period of time and the idea that on any given year you can break through if certain things fall right, like what happened for Toronto, I think it's more in the cards now. And, uh, and, and, and you're, you're certainly running a much higher risk blowing a team up than, than maintaining a very good team. All right, last headline today. Benny, this has been watching the Los Angeles Lakers in the standings <laughs> has been like a stock. It's been up, it's been down, and now... We're in a straight up lose-a-thon between the Lakers and the Spurs of who wants to be the 10 seed. Uh, Spurs took on Memphis on Wednesday night, lost that game. So now the Lakers are back in the 10 seed. Spurs are in the 11. Lakers have lost three straight, sitting at 31 and 44. Spurs at 31 and 45. Just a if you're the Lakers, right, in this point, you know, you can't, you don't really have AD back as, as regularly as you'd like. Le- LeBron, the knees flaring up again. Will it extend LeBron's career if they miss the playing tournament this year? Will it extend his yeah. career? Like, 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 will he want to play longer because he misses it? This I'm year? saying because he's had a decent amount of rest and hasn't had to have the foot on the gas over these past few months. Right, and he won't have the play-in tournament or any sort of run that they make. Do we get a couple extra years of Braun here? No, 
No, Mm -hmm. I actually couldn't disagree more. I think that if you went, if you go back, rewind to around the time the Russell Westbrook trade was happening. I mean, most people were universally shitty on it, right? But the one concept that people were were bringing up was like, if all three guys, these are healthy, Russell Westbrook can like just overdrive, you know, a team for, for 45 minutes on any night. And if you pair him with either LeBron or AD, you could beat a bad team like that. So this gives you this chance to spell LeBron every once in a while, to spell AD every once in a while, because you have this this workhorse that can go through. Um, that obviously did not pan out the way they intended, and quite the opposite, where they were in so much trouble in so many games that LeBron James has had to play 40, 45 minutes of high-level, intense, regular-season basketball more than he was anticipating this season. And I think the reason you're seeing LeBron ramp it up in the last few weeks and start putting up 40 a game in this is because I think he's given up on the idea that he can win anything this season. And he's like, I might as well win a fucking scoring title because I'm really old and I got to get something out of this season. So no, I don't think it extended his career at all. I mean, there's got to be something right now to the idea that he pulled himself out of the group. I think LeBron is treating his ankle. I think his return is going to coincide with AD's return. They're going to get into the play tournament. They're probably going to get into the playoffs. I still think that's probably going to happen, but there's also the chance that they're just totally tanking on this season. <laughs> and it's realistic considering like if AD is really not ready to go at anywhere near, you know, 80, 90%, uh, with with the other stuff that they got going on, I mean, this thing is a wash. So I actually don't agree that this extended LeBron. I think he's had to take on more regular season wear and tear that he ever intended to this year. This is what I get for trying to ask a positive LeBron James question because you would think me of all people would want to shit on LeBron. Like, it's over. I love this dancing on the grave. But we're not in the business of doing that here. No. I was trying to celebrate silver lining. Oh, maybe not having the playoffs. He gets to play with Bronny. But no, you can't dispute how good LeBron's been over this stretch. I hate to say it. The team isn't there. Um, I do think, you know, we talked a lot about potential LeBron James destinations. I I think that that makes uh, uh, this summer a a little bit more interesting all across Lakerland because you got to imagine what they're going to do. Vogel, I don't think they keep him, unfortunately. Like the fact that you can win the the bubble title and be fired within two or three years after is crazy. Um, the the Palenka thing is tricky because of the Kobe connection. Right. Jeannie Buss has a heck of a problem on her hands right now, and like a bunch of people have said, it's going to get worse before it gets better for them. And at this point, I mean, that's that's the thing that's a little frustrating about this is like it's Rob Palenka's fault. Is it? Not LeBron. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, besides, listen. Getting Russell Westbrook is one thing, but like, let's talk about this team, right? This year, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are currently invested and playing with Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montrezl Harrell on that team, you know, and even let to mention like an Avery Bradley, there was other contributors who were on there. This whole unit was moved away. And replaced by Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, 
uh, you know, DJ Augustine, like these, these bizarre mishmash of players. And the only thing that hit is Malik Monk and Malik Monk is gone. There's no way he's like, like staying. They're going to have to pay Malik Monk out the ass and he's going to go make money somewhere else. So you're looking into next season and Russ will be making $47 million. LeBron's making 42. And I think AD is making something like 38. So you literally have like 140 million invested into these big three with no kids you care about. You know, like like they they re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker. Like that was supposed to be like the guy who's gonna come in and develop this season and turn mm. into something else. And he went the wrong way. So honestly, you know, besides for LeBron James signing off on this Russell Westbrook trade, yeah, like it's Rob Polinka's fault. Sure. There's a couple of things here, right? Like LeBron wanted these trades and you you center your decision making around making Bron happy. Better GMs than Rob Plinka have done that. Better presence of basketball operations have given him the keys to the kingdom. If Rob Plinka is making a straight-up basketball decision, he does not make that rush trade. But Bron wanted him, and sometimes you got to take responsibility for your actions. Like Even if you are LeBron James, this one didn't work out. Now there's been times in the past where he's got his boys together, and they won the title. But this wasn't one of those situations. And I wonder how that impacts like the legacy and how you view LeBron Obviously, all-time great status, but I think you know, you know, you look at other guys who have tried to make like the president and like the basketball decisions for their team, um, and it's a huge gamble because you either get it right and you're like goaded, or it doesn't work out and you're kind of where in this LeBron James vortex where you're like, okay, a lot of great moments, but oh yeah, there's also that Lakers season where they went 31 and whatever. Yeah, but like, like this is where it's kind of almost amusing. Like, can we talk about how many finals LeBron went to straight? Yeah, yeah but show me titles, though. Come on, dude. <laughs> like, this is the thing. This is where like this is like really quick revisionist history going on. If LeBron James doesn't do all this weird brokering shit he's been doing forever, there's no chance he was in that many finals. Like, he it's been working for him pretty well. And, and like, you know, this one time you took a shot at this age and it didn't pan out. And you're like, his whole thing is not the way it works. No, like he put himself in a position to leave teams and win with other teams various times already. Showed up to places where he knew the team was no good for like a month. And then by the end of the season, it's a different roster who goes to the finals. He's actually done this before. So I don't want to just totally slam LeBron. Like he, sometimes he's a pretty good JM. He had a rough year, though. I have such a, a, a hard time with that because for most of his career, he takes these one-year deals, not allowing a team to plan. Like if you take a three-year deal, the way it can benefit the team that, that, that you want to stick with is say, hey, in year one, I'll take like $11 million. And then like back end, you can like make it, it, it up to me and stuff like that. By taking the one-year deals and having quote-unquote flexibility – Yes, some of those championships, you can bring in a Tristan Thompson, a, a, a Richard Jefferson, and get Cleveland o- over the top. But sometimes you who, end up with the Lakers. Who'd the Cavs draft the year after he left? Uh, you remember? No, I don't. Who, who Anthony is, Bennett. Anthony Where's Bennett. he? How's he doing? Uh, Europe. He's pretty okay. good. Oh, he, that, he was out of literally, Europe in three Literally, years. the this one Cavs draft pick, that is the bust. You want to go through the rest of those Cavs yeah. number ones? were pretty damn good. 
I'm just saying, man. Like, <laughs> like I can't blame a guy like that. When I've watched this career, I've watched, and the idea that he could have squandered seasons stacked after each other in Cleveland if he didn't do the things he did, I don't take it away from LeBron. He just fucked up this season. Flint and Wizard in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, if you if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, everybody love everybody. And we know Spain is a country in Europe. I hear you. We'll get there eventually. Wow, some, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune Up. <laughs>